Again, we'll be reading from First Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Nolan. Well, good evening, Doxology. It's really good to be with you this evening. Uh, for those of you who are new, joining us for the first time, welcome. My name is Steve, lead pastor, and it's, uh, it's great to have you here with us. Um, our primary way, our primary diet, if you will, of hearing from God during preaching is simply just going through the book of the Bible, verse by verse, line by line, and seeing what God has to say to us. And uh, for the next few months, we are walking through the book of 1 Peter. And uh, 1 Peter is written by Peter, the Apostle Peter, and Essentially, who Peter's writing to is, he's writing to Christians living in a culture where it's not smiled upon to be a Christian. Uh, so in many ways, pretty similar to the culture that we're in now. And so what he does is he's writing through First Peter's, he says, here's how belonging to Jesus, one, comforts you in suffering, but also B, here's how be- belonging to Jesus helps you to love with an incredible humility and point other people to Jesus, uh, even if they may rid- ridicule you or disagree with your faith. And uh, what Peter gets into today is the topic of holiness. So that line, you know, be holy as I am holy, that's the heart of the passage. And as soon as we hear that, we have a problem. Because even if you're not a Christian, there's a lot of baggage here with the, with the term holiness. If you're, you know, outside the church or if you've been inside the church for a long time. So uh, outside the church, so for example, um, before I became a pastor, I had various jobs in the in the private sector. And on many occasions, both with friendships I've had in college and then after college, you know, working elsewhere, people would call me the holy man, like once they found out I was a Christian. So they would say things like, oh, you know, don't talk this way around Steve because he's, he's the holy man. Or, hey, Steve, we're going to go to insert location of ill repute, and I'm pretty sure you're not going to want to go with us because, you know, you're the holy guy. And I'm pretty sure they, they didn't mean that as a compliment when they called me the holy man. <laughs> Right, and for those of us in the church as well, like when you know that God says be holy, because it's all throughout the scriptures. Um, but I think if you're being honest, that doesn't excite you, especially for younger gener- the younger generations. You know, we're very prone to just be drawn toward the spectacular and toward the dramatic, and we have short attention spans. And you know, so when you hear be holy, that sounds sterile. It sounds boring. And honestly, like you probably get more excited about. Concert tickets, I guess back when we used to go to concerts, or booking a sweet Airbnb than you do about pursuing holiness in your life. Uh, but what Peter's saying here is you know, actually pursuing holiness is the most gratifying way to live your life. Because 
Jesus doesn't save you just to give you life in eternity, but he also wants you to have life at the highest now, and you get there by pursuing holiness. And so uh, let's look at the subject of holiness by, we'll just walk through the passage roughly in order. And uh, first we'll see what's the motive for holiness. Then we'll see what is holiness. So we're actually going to save our definition of terms for a little bit later. And then number three, we'll look at what are some practical ways we can apply holiness. Because in verse number one, like what's the motive for being holy? Number two, what is holiness? Because a lot of us, don't, we think it means something that it doesn't actually mean. And then number three, we'll look at, okay, so what are some practical ways we can apply this uh, here today in 2020 in Clarendon? So first, uh, number one, what's the motive for holiness? So uh, beginning verse 13, start of the passage, Peter says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So already we need to stop because what is the first word that Peter uses in verse 13? Therefore, now I, I don't mean this sarcastically, but this is why reading comprehension really matters, um, because this is the first time in the letter that Peter's going to tell you to do something, and he prefaces it with therefore. And I guarantee you, at least 90% of the reason why you may find some of God's commands a burden or you don't find them thrilling, or even anxiety you have, or just lack of assurance you have in your life, even maybe about your salvation, is because you're not convinced that that word therefore means what it means. So what is, what is therefore therefore? Why does Peter put therefore at the start of like the first time he's giving us commands? And the, he gives it to reference verses 1 through 12 in the beginning of the letter. So what's in verses 1 through 12? We've looked at it for four weeks now. It's where Peter gives us mind-bending realities about who you are in Jesus Christ and what God has done. So the eternal triune God has chosen you before the foundation of the world. According to his great mercy, not because of your merit or your own heroism, he's caused you to become born again. He's given you a living hope, not a dead hope like all the hopes of this world offer you. He's given you something unfading, imperishable. He gives you comfort in suffering. Angels long to look into the gospel you have. We looked at that last week. Now, in light of these things, now do this. And uh, it, one commentator put, put it this way, and, and he's so right. It's, it's only in Christianity, or it's only when you follow Jesus, that you have a therefore before any command you're given. Right? So anywhere in Scripture, when you see a command from God or a command from Jesus, either implicitly or explicitly, there is a therefore before being told what you're to do. Okay, so God has done this. Now you have an identity. Now your future is secure. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, live in light of these overwhelming realities, which is exactly the opposite of any other religion. It's the opposite of our modern secular culture, which claims to have, you know, released us from the shackles, quote-unquote, of religion. But it's just as enslaving because it says, Do, do, do. If you do this, then you have an identity. If you do this, then you know you're worthy. If you do this, then you know you're secure. Okay, do, do, do comes before done. But only in the gospel is it done. Now do. And I I just, I want you to be honest. Um, Is there anywhere in your heart where there is a nagging question just kind of this ongoing ambient, like, am I worthy? 
am I enough? Or for others of you, will everything be okay? And how do you know if you're enough? How do you know if everything will be okay? It's by listening to the voice of Jesus, your creator and your redeemer. So, verses 1 through 12. And then also look at um, what Peter brackets this command to be holiness with in verse, uh, verse 18. So do these things knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. So knowing you were ransomed, so that's the language of being bought out of slavery. Okay, so you were enslaved, not to other human beings, most likely, but you were enslaved to self-centeredness. You were enslaved to sin. You were on a trajectory toward eternity without God. But then what? You were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. Not something, imper- not something perishable like silver or gold, but something imperishable. So how do you know if you're worthy? How do you know if you're secure? Well, ask this question. How do you know if something is valuable? And the answer is what you're willing to pay for it. So some of you guys know this. It was six weeks ago, I think, um, at the end of service, Titus all of a sudden um, had this unexplained episode where his you know, head suddenly collapsed and he couldn't lift up his body. And so uh, fire trucks came, EMTs came outside of the church. And fortunately, Pastor Nate was here preaching. So you know, I, I run outside and the EMTs are like, we don't know what's going on. You got to rush him to the ER. So Kelsey and I get in the car. We rush him to the ER. And I remember, you know, as the doctors are around him, like trying to figure out what's going on. Is this, li- is this, is this life-threatening? I remember thinking clear as day, whatever I have to pay to save this child, I will pay it. And God, if I, if I could give up my own life right now to guarantee Titus will be okay, I'll give it in a heartbeat. Just tell me to do it. Like, it wasn't even a question. Why? Because he was that precious to me. He is that precious to me. And you realize God says the exact same thing toward you, his child. He says, if I have to give up my life to save you from life of death, to save you from a life without me, I will do it. And he did. How valuable is Jesus Christ? That's how worthy you are. Because it was Jesus Christ judged on the cross for your sins so that you can have life at the highest with God. So are you worthy? Yes, you're worthy. Will you be secure? Yes, you'll be secure. How do you know? Because of what God did for you through Jesus. Therefore, it makes all the difference in the world. So if that word isn't there, this is just another text of dead philosophy that doesn't actually give you power, but thank goodness that word therefore is there before calling uh, calling us to do anything. Okay, so that's always our motive for holiness, guys. And so just as kind of a side note, I I didn't write this down, but I was just thinking about this. Um, As your pastor, one of the things I care about is you all following the commands. You're not saved by your works, but following Jesus' commands because that's where you do find life. And I don't know, if, if there's any time where either I'm preaching or even just shepherding you one-on-one and I'm like more harsh than I intend to be, uh, please just see through me and see Jesus and remember, therefore, 
Okay, I have to remember it too, even with my own life when I'm harsh on myself. Whether you're reading something in the scriptures, hearing something from me or other people, always remember the therefore. It's already done. Now do. Okay, uh, so that's our motive. Next, let's look at, okay, what, what is holiness? And so let's read uh, the heart of the passage and let's go uh, 14 through 16. So as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. We'll get back to that. But as he who called you is holy... As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So, when you read that, be holy as I am holy, what you probably jump to is morality. Okay, so God's holy. He is perfect. And so, I need to be holy. I need to be self-controlled. I need to be generous. I need to blah, 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 blah. You know, obey these commands. Now, holiness isn't less than morality, but when you think about it only in moral terms, you're missing the broader picture of what Holiness is. How do we know? Well, when Peter says this, he is referencing Leviticus. So in your Bibles, there's probably a, like a footnote that directs you to the bottom that says, you know, hyperlinks you to the book of Leviticus. And all throughout Leviticus and through the Old Testament, over and over, God's saying, be holy as I am holy. But the context of Leviticus is, is God is setting up how his people are to worship. And the reason why you know holiness shouldn't only pertain to morality is because God talks about not just holy people, but holy things. So there's, holy, there's a holy table, there's holy bread, there's holy pots, there's holy forks. So you have to ask, like, what is, what is a moral fork? Or even more frightening, what's an immoral fork? You know, like, I don't want to touch that thing, I don't want to eat with that thing. Okay, so... Clearly, holiness can't only be about objects because he, he um, often the term you'll, you'll see is either you know, sanctified, set apart, but also holy. These things are to be set apart. And so holiness means not fully, but we're getting there. And we know it means set apart because all of these things were to be set apart for God's use. Okay, so God is set apart because he's unique. He's unique in his superlativeness. There's none like him. Okay, but when other, when other things are to be holy as God has, that means they're to be set apart for God's exclusive use. Right? So if you want the bread or the fork to be holy in the tabernacle, you don't make it holy by reading it the Sermon on the Mount. You make it holy by setting it apart for God's use. So for people, when God calls us to be holy, here's how you can sum it up. Holiness means you belong to God. Okay, you belong to God the claims of love that he has on your life and yours on his are so great that you belong to him, is what holiness is. Okay, it means you, you belong to God. And so this is really helpful when you think about behavior, um, because what it does is when you understand that means, okay, when I'm called to be holy, this means I belong to God. It means you, you stop thinking about sin and holiness in strictly depersonalized terms. Because often we think about sin in like de- depersonalized language. So, for example, the speed limit is 40, so I need to drive 40. You know, like it's, not, it's not very personal, but when you're saying that holiness is about a relationship, ah. Okay, so now this gives us a principle on how we think about living. So here's an example. If you, if you are a single person and then you get married, in a great sense, you now belong to your spouse. Okay, you're now in covenant with that person. You're now in a new relationship. And so... What this means is if, if you continue to act as if you're single, once you're married, that's going to create problems. So if you're married and then you keep going on dates with other people, or after work, you, know, you just go wherever you want, or you just, you, know, you just drive somewhere on the weekend without 
telling your spouse and bringing your spouse into every area of your life, it's going to create misery. Not to mention how incredibly mean it is. Okay, so it's going to create breakdown in the relationship when you don't acknowledge that you now belong to somebody else. Okay, so in the same way as you think about life before God, yes, we look at specific commands, but what's even more helpful than that that is the broader principle of now that I belong to God and he calls me to delight in him, to give everything to him, to bring him into every part of my life, now how does this cause me to live? And when you choose to like, go against that relationship, now you're bucking up against the relationship, which is going to lead to misery. Misery in your life. Some, sometimes the reason why you feel very distant from God is because you're refusing to follow some of his commands because it's a relationship. Okay, so that, that's what holiness is, belonging to God. Um, and now let's just look at a couple practical applications. So... Remember the therefore, okay, so this was always done out of joy and gratitude for what God has done. And now what are some practical applications? As we go through, we're just going to look at, a, we're not going to look at everything in this passage, but we'll look at uh, like about two of the, the main things Peter gives. Um, remember, Peter's aim is for you to enjoy being a Christian, okay, just to enjoy life with Christ, okay, and, and you enjoy life by living in the design of the relationship that you're in. Okay, so one of the things he says is in verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Okay, so um, what's going on here is he's saying before you belong to God, before you belong to Jesus, you acted, felt, and thought a certain way. But now that you're in a new family, obedient children, you're now children of the Most High, now you should act, feel, and think a different way. So there's this old life you need to put behind you now conform everything to what it means to belong to Jesus. Um, and so here's an example of, like here's a human example of what it doesn't look like. So this, this story is hard to share because it's just an example of me being incredibly petty and sinful uh, and self-centered. And so please don't use this story against me. Um, but, okay, so before Titus was born... I had a Saturday morning routine that I loved very much. And it looked something like this. So I'm, you know, introverted, and I like my alone time. And Kelsey, being an introvert, also encouraged me to have alone time. And so Saturday mornings, often, uh, if I could, I would do something like this. I would make, usually, pancakes for breakfast. I would take my time making a cup, a cup of coffee. I would get a really good book, light a candle, and just enjoy a few hours of me time. Okay, it was amazing. Then Titus was born, and a couple months into his existence, there was a Saturday morning, and I'm engaging Titus, but Kelsey can tell, I'm just, I'm in an irritable mood, I'm peevish, I'm not like really fully engaging with Titus, I'm just kind of checking out. Kelsey's like, well, you know, what's, what's wrong, Steve, why are you in a mood? And <laughs> I go something like this, I go, well, you know, I just, I just miss being able to like, you know, make my pancakes and read a book, and... Kelsey is showing an incredible amount of grace and patience. She had, just, she had been up the whole night, you know, mind you, feeding Titus. And she, she just looks at me and goes, Steve, you're a father now. <laughs> okay? Like, there's a new relationship in your life. And when you refuse to acknowledge that relationship, I can tell you right now, it's creating misery for everybody. Okay, you're upset because you're upset. Titus is upset. I'm upset. 
So will you please stop trying to live in the passions of your former ignorance, okay, but like before Titus was here, before this new relationship, and instead just embrace this new reality. And it took me some time, and I still have a lot of ways to go, but I did. And, you know, what do you know? Yes, it takes some short-term immense pain because I have to die to myself, but it leads to incredible happiness for me, for Titus, for Kelsey, for everybody else. And so what Peter's saying is, you know, where in your life are you still trying to act as if you don't have this relationship to God? Like, where are you still clinging on to these former ways of living? So, so a couple of examples may be um, your words, your language. You know, when you're around other people, especially outside of the church, do you swear like they do? Do you gossip like they do? Do you uh, talk condescendingly about other image bearers like they do? Okay, that's your passions of your former ignorance. Or, or another bucket. What about your hopes? Like, what do you look to to know you're going to be secure? Okay, and it's, gonna, it's probably going to be some combination of how much money is in your bank account or how your career is going or your physical health. Okay, but when that's your security, now you're going back to passions of your former ignorance. Or it may just be a general disposition of self-centeredness where... Like your knee-jerk reflex on how to use your weeknight after work or how to use a weekend is just, how can I get happiness out of this rather than, how can I invest in somebody else? How can I invest in somebody in the church? How can I invest in, in, somebody who do, in the life of somebody who doesn't know Jesus? Because now you're in a new family and so your behavior changes. And the more you acknowledge this new relationship, it's actually going to lead to more joy and happiness for you. And one other note on this, uh, obedient children... Remember, Peter's talking to Christians where like, there's, a, there's a social cost for following Christ. And so when he says obedient children, in one sense, yeah, you're, you're a child of God. But also, number two, think of a, an obedient child in this way. So when you were in grade school and there was that kid in the class, the, the teacher's pet, who you know, like, always did all their homework far in advance, got every answer right, and had a lot of joy in what they did. Some of you guys were like, yeah, that was me. Um, so what happens when the teacher starts to lavish praise upon that child? Okay, if you're not the teacher's pet, like what do you or other classmates, how do you begin to feel toward or treat the teacher's pet? Often with some form of you know, either rage or you, just, you begin to dislike them. Why? Because their good behavior is a reproach to you. Okay, and you're not, you're not mad at the teacher, you start getting mad at the kid. Even if they're not doing anything in reference to you, they're just so thrilled to be studying the material. And so what Peter's saying is when you are in exile, remember week one, you're, you're going to be fundamentally different from the culture around you. And so there are going to be times where there are new behaviors that you do or now don't do because you belong to Jesus. And people who don't have the Holy Spirit testifying to their conscience consciences may begin to reproach you. They may dislike you because when they see you living a certain way, they may, even though you're doing it just because you love Jesus, they may see you as, oh, you think you're better than me? And so as a, as a warm admonishment to some of you, I, I think there's some of you who you are so worried about being seen as relevant or, you know, not too holy or pious around your friends 
that you, like, you, you compromise, in, either with your words or behavior, you know, just because you don't want to be that Christian. But with all due respect, Peter's saying, no, if you're living in such a way where you stand out, and either it makes people, you know, wonder what's going on, or maybe some of them get angry at you, you're actually living as a faithful witness. Just, are there any areas where you're like, okay, well, I just am afraid of looking too holy. Well, just, you know, check that. Check, check your motive there. Because if the Holy Spirit is working that person's life, God will use your behavior to draw them to Jesus. I mean, sometimes people, story for another day, but in high school, my, my friends kidnapped me. My friends kidnapped me on Halloween, and I'm not going to go into the details now, but it was really bizarre. Like, there were seven of them. They, yeah, they, you know, tied me up, took me in a van to the woods, and don't use this to, like, psychoanalyze me, okay? And that's why, why, the, why, 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 Luke? <laughs> why do you think I am the way I am? But, you know, as it was ending, like, they just said some really weird, you know, Steve, you think you're better than us because you don't do this with girls and you don't do this with drugs and you've just always thought you're... And I was like, guys, I, that has nothing to do with it. And so we had to work through that, but... I, um, sometimes there will be times where people just don't get it. We're just straight up hate you. But Peter says, no, as obedient children, live this way because you now belong to God. Because that's, that's one way you, you live in light of belonging to God. You enjoy life. It's just you know, new behavior. Okay? Just one other thing Peter talks about is, is fear. He says in verse 17, And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So there's this interesting, what looks like a juxtaposition, but it's not. He says, if you call on him as father, who judges? Okay, so those of us in the church, we're going to lean too far into one of those, right? So for some of us, God, we go too far into the, the tender father category where God's just kind of this like medicated, smiling grandfather who never cares when you do anything wrong and any time you ask him for candy, he gives you candy because he doesn't care about your well-being, he doesn't care about your maturity, just shrugs at sin. Okay, but others of you, you know, may lean too far into the, the father who judges. You're always wondering if God likes you. You're always wondering if you're doing enough. Remember the therefore. Okay, what Peter's saying is, no, these aren't in contrast, they're complementary to each other. So on the one hand, do you have incredible assurance and tenderness because God's your Father? Oh my goodness, yes. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But remember, your Father is also a judge who judges sin. And so if you are not a Christian, you will be judged for your sin when Jesus returns to judge the world. But if you are receiving Christ's offer of forgiveness, all of the judgment for your sin falls on Christ. Okay, so you're now free. So now as a Christian, you fear God not as you did before, like, oh my gosh, is he going to get me? But how you fear him is in somewhat of the same way that you, if you get pretty close to Niagara Falls, there should be a healthy reverence there. Okay, that if you step under the falls, it's going to crush you. It's beautiful, you're in awe of it, but it's ferocious and it has incredible power. Okay, and so when you belong to God, yes, he's your father, but he's also... I mean, he's the one who sits between the cherubim. He's the one who sits enthroned upon the universe. He holds the world together. And so when he says, conduct yourselves with fear, I think it's so interesting when he says, throughout the time of your exile, 
Peter knows there's so many things that the, the believers are going to be tempted to fear, to like either stand in reverence for or tremble before that aren't God. And so the heart of what Peter is saying here is, as you're living in an uncertain time, fear the right thing. Stand in reverence and stand in awe of the right thing. And Jen Wilkin, a Bible teacher who was teaching on this passage not long ago, she said something to the effect of, you know, as she reads Twitter and Facebook, like what's so disheartening is she sees so many Christians who are fearing who's going to be our next president. You know, who's going to take the seats in the House and the Senate? Oh my gosh, what's going to happen with COVID? What's going to happen with my career? She goes, as the church, who are supposed to be a beacon of hope, why are we fearing all these other things instead of the Rock of Ages? And she's right, because when you see God for who He is, and then you have an appropriate view of yourself, you realize you are extremely contingent, extremely limited. And when you look to yourself or to other human beings to control what can't be controlled... You're forgetting to stand in reverence and fear of the rock of ages, which is who we have. So th- this should give you an incredible stability. I mean, historically, I don't... I've never had much of an issue with anxiety. Over the past couple weeks, it started to, to bubble up. And I realized a large part of what was happening was, I'm like, yeah, oh my gosh, what's going to happen with this? What about this? What about this uncertainty? So this was a wonderful reminder to Steve... <laughs> God is not fretting. He's not wringing his hands, wondering, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? No, he's in control of all things. So remember that therefore God has given himself for you. God has died for you. God has committed himself to you. You belong to God and now live in light of this new relationship. One of those ways being living as an obedient child, putting away passions of your former ignorance. And number two, standing in awe of our rock, redeemer, and rock of ages. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, Lord, I first thank you so much for the privilege that we actually get to say you, the eternal triune God, belong to us and we belong to you. And so we thank you for that gift that we have through Jesus Christ. And I pray that we as a church family, Lord, will um, live accordingly in joy and that we will stand in fear of you in the way that you intend us to because you know that that's where we're going to find beauty and hope. And uh, yeah, just reveal these truths to us in greater ways as we continue in worship. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.